Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm a pastor here. This Sunday we're continuing, as JC said, a newer series called Book Club. We are looking at some books that could be good summer reading additions to add to your list. Now you might be thinking, school's out, whether that means just for the summer or it's been decades for you. But either way, you might be thinking, it's summer. I have no intention to do any reading this summer. Because reading is just not my thing. If that's you, hear me out and give me a chance uh, with this series. Because on Sundays, during the message time, what you're going to get is the Spark Notes or the Cliff Notes version of these books. Or in other words, all the good and important and helpful stuff from them. So you literally just get to cheat off my notes and my time and my reading on what these books are all about and see if it's worth the read for you. My hope is the information that you gain during the message time will help you grow in your relationship with God a bit and then it also maybe will inspire you to read the book yourself as they honestly are all good summer reads. And today's book is actually an entire series But before we dive into it, we need to go back. We need to go back in time, like way back for some of you, because we're pursuing our eight-year-old self. Here's me at eight years old, Uh, super cute, got my soccer uniform on, got my backwards hat with my sister, super cute, I know. But to just get you thinking, what was eight-year-old you into? If it wasn't that long ago for you, this was probably you. You were a kid with a cell phone, right? Like holding a cell phone was what it was all about in the, in the 2010s or so. If, you, if eight-year-old you was in the 2000s, it was probably some sort of gaming device, a DS or a Nintendo. If it was the 90s, you were probably holding one of these, Nerf guns, right? That was me. I'm a 90s kid. Uh, in the 80s, I believe, this is what the article said, koosh balls? Koosh balls is maybe what you're holding. In the 70s, it was maybe a pet rock. And then the 60s and beyond, it's a bit unknown to me, but at least from what I can tell, it probably was this. You had a stick that you found out in the woods, right? Like... Now, the reason I say this is today we are actually looking at the childlike book series called The Chronicles of Narnia, and there are seven books in the series. Here they are. It's The Magician's Nephew, The the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Horse and His Boy, Prince Caspian, The Voyage of the Dawn Trader, The Silver Chair, The Last Battle. Now, what this, what this series is, is it's a fictional series that has a fantasy world that's kind of full of magic and fun and talking animals and heroes and evil and conflict and victory, just like every good story. But this series is unique because, first off, it sold over 100 million copies. So that's getting up there with books like Harry Potter series and the Goosebumps series and the Diary of the Wimpy Kid series, if you're into children's literature. But secondly, it's unique because it was written purposefully to be intertwined with biblical theology, deep imagery of God, and it's meant to create an awe and wonder in Christian concepts. Yet even in the massiveness of its sales, 100 million sales, I'm sure still today, many of you haven't heard a ton about this series or Narnia. So what I want to do today is I want to show you how reading Narnia yourself as an, as an adult or even reading it with your children can help you grow in your faith and in your understanding of God. 
but most importantly, help you embrace a life that Jesus desired for all of us. Because frankly, frankly, looking at this book series, it's going to help you avoid becoming, for lack of a better way to describe it, it's going to help you avoid becoming a crotchety, crabby church person. It really is. Uh, maybe a crabby church person who feels you just got it all figured out. That These books are going to help you combat that. You might think that's kind of harsh, but if we're honest, a lot of us have gone partially there before. I mean, just think for a second. I'm sure you've had times in your walk with God where you felt faith or church or God or the Bible. It just seems kind of cliche and too predictable. Like just this legalistic thing that we have to do. Or maybe you just aren't with excitement or wonder or awe when it comes to pursuing and discovering who God really is. Or maybe you just feel the Christian faith is boring. Maybe that's where you're at today. Or maybe you just are going through a season of belief in God and it's just dry and still. If you're headed towards any of those things right now or feeling that right now, this message is for you. Or maybe, maybe right now, you're literally crabby in your seat because of the idea of talking about a book series like this in church. It feels just not right. It's just not right. If that's you, this message is also for you as it might be your indicator that you are that exact crotchety person I just described earlier. Now, either way, I think today will help us all see that faith that is the way Jesus desires is something that we can see and learn from in this, this series, but we can also have a glance at what these books could really help us with in understanding God. Before we really dive in, though, I want to first take a moment to talk about the author, C.S. Lewis. Um, he's the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis, he was born in 1898. He was a British writer. He was a literary scholar and a theologian. He was a good old lad in England who worked at Oxford and Cambridge. I don't know if I used lad right there or not, but I tried. Um, but he's a writer that is probably best known for the Chronicles of Narnia, but he also has some more content-rich books as well that are still very engaging and understandable for anyone. The first one I want to talk about or highlight just for a second is Mere Christianity. This is probably the book that helped me solidify my faith in, in God in college more than any other. It'll help you understand having this rational view for God and for Christian faith. Uh, there's the Screw Tape Letters. It's a book on understanding how evil is kind of working behind the scenes and can work behind the scenes. And it shows this using satire, but it gives us a picture of how evil could really be present in our lives today. And then the last one I want to just highlight is A Grief Observed. It's a good book uh, for someone going through grief or is grieving because Lewis wrote this book of trying to understand life and death and faith in the midst of loss. He wrote it right after he lost his wife to a tragic death. Now, this is just a list of few of his books, but they're vastly different from the Chronicles of Narnia. Well, now you, now you like know a little bit of like some of his books, and you've heard a little bit of his bio, and you might think, this writer or this style of writing is not my thing. It's just not my thing. I don't think I can relate with him. I don't think I can connect with something like this. Well, you probably are quite different from Lewis. You honestly are. I mean, he, his quirks and his uniqueness was he was an English professor who enjoyed talking about books with other book nerds. To me, this sounds awesome. I love talking about books with other book nerds. But to most people, this probably is not. But what I'm sure you can relate with Lewis on is he grew up Christian but stepped away from his faith in his adolescence because he lost interest. 
he lost connection, and he felt religion was just a chore to him. Does that sound like any of you? Does that sound like anything you maybe dealt with as an adolescent? What brought him back to faith is his curiosity in conversations about mythology and wonder and awe and of the unknown of the world. And being this literary scholar, Lewis was familiar with literature. He was familiar with story and fiction in which for a time, was essentially just his view of the Bible and Christianity. It was just one amongst the rest. Until one day he had a conversation with another writer named J.R.R. Tolkien, who also wrote a small book series called The Lord of the Rings. But they were discussing the wonders of myths and Christianity being one of them to Lewis. But Tolkien helped Lewis see that Christianity has the same excitement and wonder of many of the myths they study and look at, yet there's so much proof out there for it to be true. And he started to show him that Christianity is so much more than just a myth. He started to see Christianity has wonder and awe and unknowns, but it has so much truth in it because of the human need of grace and forgiveness that Jesus and Christianity fulfills. And this converts Lewis. He becomes in awe of God and he has this immense desire to know God throughout his life. He considers himself as this normal lay person or a normal church-going attender who happens to just have a strong passion to study and write about knowing God. He decides instead of making religion a chore for others, though, like what he experienced, he felt, what if he could pack in the wonder and the awe of God's attributes that are sometimes hard to understand, but what if you could pack them into a series so that people could both experience the wonder and also better understand it, which brings us to the Narnia series. So Narnia, if you don't, aren't familiar with it, it's this distant land that, that characters in the books, they transport to from Earth, and it's Lewis's attempt to use fiction and story and myth to talk about real, powerful, sometimes difficult to understand or explain concepts of God to create a better understanding and wonder for all. Now, I might just be nerding out with you right here, but this is super exciting, right? I hope it's exciting to you. But if you have no exposure to the Chronicles of Narnia series, now that you kind of know some of this background, I want to give you a little more detailed rundown on the books. Again, there are these stories about children who are transported into a world called Narnia, where things are just different. There are multiple mythical creatures. There are multiple magical elements. And there's this battle of good and evil. And throughout the whole series of the book, there's a character who's a lion that's named Aslan. And he's this sacrificial king and creator. He oversees and governs everything. Who does that sound like to you today? It's God, right? It's meant to be the Christ-like character. Uh, there's also evil creatures and people who try to control and destroy good. There are children who come to help and they have an opportunity to choose to be used for good or choose to not, but they ultimately are meant to help good win. And then there's kings and queens and rulers who are swayed and tempted to do good at times and tempted to do bad at times. There are people who submit to Aslan, the king or the ruler or of the spiritual world, and there are those who do not and who choose not to believe in it. Again, it's obviously all fictional, right, the series, but it's meant to create fun, enjoyment, and wonder. 
But in the midst of that fun, it's meant to present Christian ideas that are hard to understand for both adults and children. But it's done in a way that helps us have mental pictures that align with scriptural concepts. To give you a little more glance of what I'm talking about, I'm going to show you a trailer of the movie, and probably it's the book that like, is most prominent that I would say you should start with. It's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, but it's a movie that what came out maybe 10, 15 years ago. There also are other movies, so if you're not a book person, maybe you want to check the, the movies out. But here's a little glance at what they're all about. All right, so we're about 10 minutes into our message right now, and I'm sensing I have the room split into three groups right now. I have my Narnian nerds in the room who are loving every second of this sermon. You're like, yes, yes, I love this. I have my loyal Centerpoint people who are quite lost of where we're going, but you believe we're going to get somewhere, as we always do. And then I have a few people who are nervous right now. They're maybe thinking this is a bit childish, and you're maybe even a bit agitated as we have yet to have any scripture in this message. If that's you, hang in there. Because before we go any further in talking about this series, I want to look at an essential biblical passage of an interaction with Jesus. When Jesus was here on earth, in the book of Mark, we can see, starting in Mark 1, Jesus makes disciples. In Mark 2, he eats with those who are lost. He does outreach to them. He, in Mark 3, he stands up for his beliefs and he witnesses to people. In Mark 4, he tells parables and he teaches others. In Mark 5, he performs miracles. In Mark 6, he sends people out to evangelize and share who he is. Mark 7, he guides people. Mark 8, he feeds people. Mark 9, he heals people. Like he's doing all the important and great things that a church and Christian people should do today. But in Mark 10, we see something a little different. It says this, starting in verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. If I'm a disciple in this situation, that's probably what I would have done. Like I would have been like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus is busy. Get your rugrats out of here, right? It's probably what I would have said. But this is what happens. It says, When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus says, Let them come. They are always welcome, as anyone else is always welcome. And then he clarifies this, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Jesus is teaching, he wants us to have this childlike wonder of him, this childlike approach to pursuing him. If you don't know what that looks like, or you haven't been around children lately, I'll, I'll explain for you in a second here, because I'm in the trenches of it right now. I got a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and I'm experiencing it all the time. My daughter, for example, this childlike wonder, my daughter keeps wanting to motor with me, 
as in she wants to mow the lawn with me with her bubble mower. Uh, she is unfortunately very vocal and honest everywhere right now by saying and pointing at things like when you're at a store and she'll say like, Daddy, that man looks mean. And we're right next to him and I'm like, sorry, sir. Oh, sh- we don't say that. We're working on that one right now. Uh, she wants to know the time and she's trying to figure out time and understand it. So she uses like yesterday and last night for just a moment ago. And if you ask her what time it is, it's always 40 o'clock to her. It doesn't matter what time it is. She saw me cutting bulletins at church one morning and she now just wants to cut with her own cutting board and somehow she stole my wife's and does it, actually. Uh, She wants to sing and dance and play instruments and just create and she's even on stage doing drums at times. She responds to every follow-up statement I have to her questions with, "'Cause what?' "'Cause what?' which is her way of saying, "'Why?' but she has this honesty and curiosity for things. And she thinks dessert should be available after every meal. And frankly, so do I. (laughs) But she thinks this because doesn't that make the most sense? And that's why she brings it up. And I think it does make the most sense. The reason I share this is she has this wonder and view on life that is not jaded from mistakes and failures. She has this curiosity to do anything and everything. She has honest questions and is trying to pursue understanding by by playing out the question, living it out. She has this helplessness even that depends on someone to teach her and guide her to understanding that she needs to go to for understanding. She has childlike wonder for life, which is exactly what Jesus wants from us towards him. Childlike wonder. When you immerse yourselves in a book series like Chronicles of Narnia, you're forced to be childlike. You're forced to have wonder and ask questions, and you're a bit helpless in understanding things until you get the whole picture and read the whole thing. Especially now knowing there are biblical themes in these books and ideas in there. Now, is the Chronicle of, Chronicles of Narnia, is it scripture? Not even close. It is not even close to being scripture. Would you give these books to children and read it yourself with the assumption that this is exactly how God is or what God wants? No. But could you see this fantasy world of Narnia and a, maybe a basic understanding of, of scripture Could it help you see parallels to what God has done and and maybe bring you more in awe of him through the two? Yeah. Or could 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 a struggle someone experiences in a book, like a character, and seeing how they overcome things through the help of another or pursuit of holy living help you maybe do that? Yeah. Or the negative character traits that one has in a book and seeing their ability to change through the chapters help you see the impact and ability that you have to change and the change and direction of a team and community you can have, the impact you can have on that when you do change. Could all these fictional things help stir wonder in your Christian faith in you and help you have this bigger, more wonder-filled view of God? Absolutely. And when you see that Lewis has attempted to address and discuss some of the harder-to-understand scriptural and theological concepts that most Christians still don't understand fully today, it then gives us images, mental pictures to our scriptural reading and interpretation to concepts that are otherwise kind of impossible to understand. So to read the Narnia books, it gives us childlike wonder and this awe of God. 
right now, would you say you need that? Do you have a faith that is boring or rigid or small right now? Maybe you have some wonder in your life, but if you think you have it completely figured out or you have God completely figured out, you need to find humility and become childlike. That is what Jesus wants. That is who the kingdom of heaven is for. If you're too proud in your understanding or too rigid, you're missing the mark. So to change, maybe you need to start reading a series like the Narnia books, but maybe you just need to start asking questions. Maybe you need to seek curiosity in areas of God that you have never done before to continue having wonder for him. Because God should give you childlike wonder. The next thing I, I think is a desire of Jesus that I think the Narnia books help with, is it does give us answers to a lot of questions, and it shows us pictures of those things. In Matthew 7, 7 through 8, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Again, Narnia is not scripture, but going to a book series or the words of a theologian to understand God better after looking at scripture is asking. It's continuing to ask. As Jesus states, you must seek, you must knock, you must ask, you must open a book. Okay, so that last one's my addition. But, but the second thing the books of Narnia offer is it's an opportunity to understand God's ways better. If you're struggling with how God works and creates and cares and forgives and what obedience and grace and forgiveness and faith-like matters that are presented in the Bible all look like, Maybe this book series is exactly what you need to look to next, as in after you looked at Scripture to help you have this wonder of God, but then have an an analytical look at some of the concepts presented in them and attempt to understand God better. And this is where I think the Narnia series really shines. To show you this, I'm going to nerd out with you for like two and a half minutes on some big theological concepts and terminology that you can discover and see in each of those books or each of the books of Narnia, which again help you learn and see things about God. The first one, the first book, Magician's Nephew, we can see ex nihilo, which is creation out of nothing. It's a theological term. Aslan, the character who represents God, he creates Narnia, a whole world out of nothing, just as God does in Genesis. And it paints a picture of how that works and how that happens. In the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we see substitutionary atonement, which is another way of saying substituting what's needed for something else to make things right again, such as death for others' mistakes. The character Aslan, he dies for the mistakes of a child who's a traitor to the good people, and Aslan is this godlike character who is perfect but takes the beatings and is mocked and experiences death in place of this child. But being the creator, death doesn't hold him down. Does that sound like someone you know? In the book, The Horse and the Boy, we see God's providence, or in other words, how God pushes and makes his way into people's lives even when they aren't trying to connect with him. We see how there's this boy, Shasta, in the book, who has never heard of Aslan or the the great king of Narnia. But this boy, he feels this energy. He feels these moments of times where he needs to go a certain direction and moments where it felt like everything was just super lucky. But then he realizes it was Aslan or it was the godlike character the whole time helping him. Uh, in, In the book Prince Caspian, we see restoration 
of how things can be made right by raising up a leader and rallying good people to restore corruption, just like you see in the Old Testament over and over again. In the book Voyage of the Dawn Trader, we see the grips of sin. There's a line that says, to defeat the darkness out there, you must defeat darkness inside yourself. Doesn't that sound a lot like the Christian struggle at times, right? The character in this book, he even says, no matter how hard I try, I couldn't get myself to do it. It shows us the power of another is needed to change, which is what we talked about last week in our book, The Power of the Change. In the book, The Silver Chair, we see that evil uses deception. It uses deception. There's a time where a person is cursed by a witch and, and is bound to a silver chair, and everyone is under the deception that this is a monstrous person, yet he's not. He's a good man. And there's also deception of a person who appears to be good but is evil, And there's finally a point where someone states, I'm going to pursue holiness whether or not I see this person as evil or not, but I'm going to pursue what God would want or what Aslan would want and do and live that out. So we see that that we can overcome deception in this book. And the last book, the last battle, deals with eschatology or the study of end times. The, The last battle, it starts with a false hero coming to be the one to save the day for others, to rally others together, but then the true hero A true hero, Aslan, arrives and puts things to an end. This is a picture of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. There are all, these are all biblical concepts that we get glimpses of that C.S. Lewis helps create images in our minds to better understand. When we do this, we aren't mentally changing what actually happened in Scripture or what will happen, but today is meant But today, it helps create analogies or mental pictures of things that we have nothing else to compare them to, things that are kind of beyond our comprehension. Doing this is beneficial for you as an adult, but can you imagine what it's like to teach children some of these Christian concepts without mental images or pictures like this? And Scripture tells us we are responsible for training our children. Proverbs 22, 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Are you exposing yourself and your kids to God's ways through Scripture? To start, you first need to ask yourself, are you reading Scripture to them? Are you reading the Bible to them? Are you teaching and modeling the ways of God to them? I'm a pastor but I'm also a parent. I'm a parent of a one and a three-year-old, and I'll be the first to say that's not easy to do. Again, my three-year-old daughter, who obviously is here at church often, her name's Eliza, she has a lot of questions about church and Jesus and God. When she asks things, my first gut instinct is like, go ask your mom, right? Like any man, go ask your mom. She's, she probably knows. Or after that, it's like, go talk to Tara, Go talk to our kids director. Like, go ask her. But then she'll ask questions like, what's this worship song about? What does that mean? She'll ask things like, is Jesus the one singing it? Or like, she'll ask, is Jesus in everyone's heart? How is he in my heart? She'll ask, where is he? Like, she'll ask, like, why why she hasn't actually seen Jesus? She'll ask, why he's so good? Why do we worship him? And on and on and on. And as a pastor, I don't have like the right answer to these questions. But when I expose myself to imagery, such as some of what these books can present, I can actually try to understand concepts personally, and I actually can have some tools and even images that my child also could have if they read the book that can help them understand it better. With all this said, 
We started this point asking the question, are you knocking and asking God to give you answers that you're looking for? When he gives you motivation to knock and seek, do you? If not, you need to start. Which leads to our third thing. You should read these books because having childlike wonder and creative imagery to understand tough parts of God, it will ultimately help you share God with others. We're to share God. Whether that be starting with just your children, or if you don't have kids around you, maybe you want to talk to Tara, our kids director, and sign up for kids ministry. Literally, because our church is a third filled with kids. A third of our church is kids. So there are a lot of kids at this church. But if you don't have kids around you, maybe these better mental images are just for you to better be able to share God to your friends and family. I have uh, two recent interactions specifically with this Narnia series that I've used with people around me. One was recently in Life Group. Uh, We were talking about how when you become a Christian, you have this difference about you. As in things, uh, when you're bringing Jesus into your life and into your network of people, it changes things around you and it changes things around them. It can make things better and brighter for others. Well, there's this scene in that first movie, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, where they're under this evil curse of winter, yet something breaks and restoration starts to happen. Here's a quick scene of it. And I don't think you'll be needing those coats anymore. They were under this eternal winter, this winter that lasted forever. Does that feel like Wisconsin winter sometimes? Yeah, right? Uh, But what was happening actually is Aslan, the the king or the Jesus-like character, he's bringing warmth, he's bringing summer and restoration and new life, and it's no longer winter when he's around and the people who follow him are around. Isn't that so true for you as a Christian, to your workplace, for your relationships, Not only can you bring new life, but you have this way to describe how faith can change life around you. The second interaction I had uh, with the series was I was able to get my friend who's an atheist to actually start reading these books with me because he's kind of a nerd too, but he was open to it and I did it so so that we could talk about Christian concepts and symbolism and imagery in it. Although he was sick of me like trying to invite him to church or tell him about Jesus, This was one way that I could continue to talk about God with him or bring the concept of Jesus to him. I get you might not be able to get your grown man friend or your grown woman friend to start reading the Chronicles of Narnia with you as I did. But what I do want to point out is is in the Bible, we see that God wants us to share our faith and hope. Are you doing that? 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Are you doing that? Are you inviting people to church and into faith? Are you unashamed of what you believe and you're willing to share it? Do you have some way to, you can continue to talk about faith with another through maybe something like the scenes of the Narnia movie that you just happen to see or a book or that you're reading or the imagery of something that's maybe fictional or something like this? Your sharing of faith is what grows faith. It's what grows church, this church. It's what changes the world. The last thing that I think is worth pointing out from the Narnia books is 
it should motivate you and encourage you. It should encourage you in your faith. Exciting novels and fictional movies that go with Christian concepts and fundamentals, it's just fun. It's just fun. It really is. It's just fun. Uh, like, there's battle scenes and good versus evil. There's scenes like this. Like, this is just like an awesome scene to me. Check it out. right? Did you see he's riding a unicorn? That's amazing. Cheetahs. These scenes and mental images can be fun reminders about, about God, but more specifically, through books, you can receive honest encouragement and motivational quotes that will help you acknowledge the realness of God in your life. For example, a few of my favorite quotes or images from the Narnia series is there's a time where Aslan, he says to the children as they're about to be transported away from Narnia back to their hometown, back to earth, and he says this, I am in your world, but there I have another name. You must learn to know me by that name. This is the very reason you are brought to Narnia, that by knowing me here for a little, you may know me better there. That's what the series is about. It's meant to help you know God a little bit better now, today, in our world. Or there's a time where someone has to make a tough decision. Any of you make tough decisions in your day-to-day? I think a lot of us do. Well, there's a time where a character, he, it says, Peter did not feel very brave. Indeed, he felt he was going to be sick when it comes to a decision. I felt that. But that made no difference as to what he needed to do. There's times we still need to do what is right, what God has called us to, even though we feel sick to our stomach. Or in understanding what the presence of God is, is, is like. They say, safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. But he's good. That's a good picture of God. Or how we can find God, or how we find God. You would not have called to me unless I had been calling to you, said the lion. As in, God calls to us, reaches out to us. It's just so good, these images. So as I close... And probably one of my strangest messages yet of the three years of Centerpoint, talking about a fictional book series, I hope you're inspired to maybe check it out, but to also allow it to grow your faith, as in starting to have childlike wonder, attempt to understand God, to share God, and encourage and motivate your faith. Although this message may not be like the most life-changing or life-encouraging message we've done here, I do believe that these books you can get a better picture of what God is like and what God desires from you so that you can not just change your faith for the better personally, but so that you can also enhance the faith of your family and those around you. And that is what I'm going to pray about today as I close, that our faith continues to be full of childlike wonder and encouragement to grow us and be ready to share it. Would you pray with me as I close? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us uh, just fun. Thank you for fun. God, I just pray that we can continue to have childlike wonder. Help us have this childlike wonder of you 
And God, I just pray that um, as, as, we, as we maybe look at series like this or, or books or things or images or th- that maybe remind us of you, I just pray that it grows our faith. It's a, I pray that it's a good representation of you. And I pray that it's something that, we'll, that we're able to use to share who you are with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.